Let's turn to Genesis 21. So we're going through a series on the life of Abraham. And as I was thinking about this chapter, I, it struck me that everybody, and I think virtually everybody would agree, that it's a good thing to like, tell the truth, right? Everybody agrees with that. It's a good thing to tell the truth. It's a good thing to be kind, to be generous, to be gracious to other people. Nobody would disagree with that. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you consistently tell the truth? And how do you consistently be kind and generous to others? I, I saw a study yesterday, which was published by some psychologists who concluded that on average, people lie, uh, I think it's one and a half times a day, which would mean around 10 times a week, right? 40 times a month, almost 500 times a year. That's just like average. And then think of how hard it can be to, to be kind to people at times. I mean, you're, you're coming home after a, a hard, long day at work. You're ready just to eat something and then put your feet up and just like veg in front of the TV. And so you've eaten and dishes are put away. And, and then your little one comes up and says, Mommy, Daddy, would you read me a story? And, oh, it, it can be hard. You love them, but you just really would rather just put your feet up and, and veg in front of the TV. And so we all agree in our minds that it's good to tell the truth. We all agree in our minds that it's good to be kind and generous. But how do our hearts get changed so we always want to tell the truth and so we always want to be kind? That's the question. And that's answered in this morning's passage. Genesis 21, verses 22 through 34. Let's read through this passage together. And I'm going to ask some questions, just walk us through it so we can see what God wants us to understand. Because when we study history in the Bible, which is what Genesis is, God's point isn't just to have us understand what happened. That's important. But he tells us these things that have happened for a reason, so that we will learn things about him and about us and about how we're called to live and about our, our salvation that we have in Christ. So let's look at this passage and ask the question, what is God teaching us through these events. Genesis 21, 22 to 34. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? Abraham said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, 
that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now, to dig into this passage, to, to start to unfold, what, what's God saying to us in, in this history? Let's ask this question first. What had Abimelech learned about God? What has he learned about God? And it's right there in verse 22. Read it again. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. So Abimelech had learned that God is with Abraham. In everything that Abraham does, God is right there with him. Now, how did Abimelech learn that? Well, remember what had happened in the previous chapter, Genesis 20. Abraham and Sarah are coming into this new region, Abimelech's kingdom. They'd never been there before, coming into Abimelech's kingdom. And Abraham knows that Sarah is beautiful, even though she's very old. She's beautiful. And Abraham knows that if Abimelech knows that Abraham is Sarah's husband, Abimelech could kill Abraham and thereby be able to take Sarah into his harem. See the problem? Abraham's thinking, my life is in danger here. She's gorgeous. He's a king with all the power. I could be in trouble. So what does Abraham do? You know the story. He lies. It's just baffling what he does. He lies and says, oh, she's my sister. Just my sister. And Abimelech takes her into his harem. Now, you know what happens next. Immediately, God delivers her. Right? That night, God comes to Abimelech in a dream. Says to Abimelech, you are a dead man for what you've done. She's not his, just his sister. She's his wife. Return her to him immediately. And so Abimelech returns her to him immediately. You would too, wouldn't you? God comes to you and says, you're a dead man. So immediately Abimelech returns Sarah to Abraham. Also in the whole context of this situation with Sarah going into the harem, they'd all gotten sick. Everybody in Abimelech's household had come down with sickness. And so Abraham prays, God, heal Abimelech and his household. And immediately they're all healed. So Abimelech had seen God is with Abraham in all that he does. He's with Abraham in a powerful way. And what God wants us to see from this passage isn't just that this is what was true for Abraham, but this is what can be true for every one of us. God wants to be with you in everything that you do. That's what's happening in this passage. God wants to be with you tomorrow morning, this afternoon, tomorrow night, when you're at work, when you're driving, when you're with your kids, when you're tired, when you're feeling great, when you're running, when you're lifting weights, when you're working, in every situation that you're in, God wants to be with you in all that you do. Now, this raises a huge question. How can God, who is holy, and righteous, and perfect, and beautiful, and glorious, and good, and loving, and who can't even be in the presence of sin, who must judge sin, how can that holy and righteous God be with people like us, all of whom have sinned? We've all turned our backs on God. 
We've all declared, declared independence from God, wanted to go our own ways. We've all sinned against God. So how can God be with us? And most of you know the answer. Some of you may not. This is the best news in the world. Just what Phoebe was talking about this morning, right? That halas, is that the finished work of the cross, right? God loves us. He's merciful to us. God loves to do gracious and merciful, undeserved things for unworthy people like me and like you. God loves us. And so he sent Jesus, his own son, fully God, to become a man. So Jesus was fully God and fully man. And Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and died on the cross as punishment for our sins. He was punished for our sins in our place. And then he rose from the dead, showing that this wasn't the death of any ordinary man. This is the death of the God-man, Jesus Christ. So here's what this means for us. As much as we have sinned, as many years as we've gone being far from God, we can turn to Jesus. We turn from our sin. We turn to Jesus. We say, we trust you. Forgive me. Change me. Fill me. And the moment we turn to trust Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven. His power comes into our lives and starts to change our hearts. Just love for God grows. Delight in Jesus. Praise of Jesus. Love for other people. It grows. And he fills us with his love so that for the first time, we experience the joy and the happiness that we've longed for because the only place it's found is in him. And that's how God can be with people like Abraham and people like us in everything we do. That's how. From that point on in our lives, just like with Abraham, God's with us. Now, what does it mean then that God is with us in all that we do? Like, let's try to get really specific. What does that really mean? And it means lots of different things, but I thought of two, and I want to illustrate them with two scriptures. The first is it means God is always thinking about you. He's always thinking about you. Look at Isaiah 49, verses 15 through 16. This is such a powerful passage. I would encourage you to memorize these two verses. Isaiah 49, 15 and 16, God is talking. And he says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Now, ladies, think about this. Could any mother who has a nursing child forget that she has a nursing child? Like, oh, I forgot my baby. This is not going to happen, right? Mothers do not forget about their little ones. Mothers thinking about the little ones, loving their little ones, caring for their little ones. And what God is saying here is, can any nursing woman forget her child? That's impossible. But even if a mother could forget her nursing child, it's even less possible for God to forget you. Okay, keep reading. Even these may forget, end of verse 15, yet God says, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls, Jerusalem's walls, are continually before me. So what it means that God is always with us in whatever we do, first thing it means is that God is always thinking about us. So just think about this right now. We're talking about God here. Okay? Glorious, massive, infinite, sovereign, 
God, the God who's created the universe, the God who's created everything, the God who's just massively glorious and splendid and powerful. And this massively huge, glorious, sovereign, powerful God right now is thinking about you. And he's loving you. And he's caring about you. And he's always thinking about you. You have his undivided attention. Right? A minute from now, he's still thinking about you. Loving you. Caring for you. And you might wonder, well, how can God give me his undivided attention? I think we've talked about this before, haven't we? It's because he's infinite God. And he can give you his undivided attention just like he can give the person next to you his undivided attention. And so what it means that God is with us in everything we do, one part of that is that he is always loving us, thinking about us, caring for us. Wherever you drive to, wherever you go, we're going to land in Amsterdam tonight and then head over to San Francisco tomorrow. And God is going to be giving, we are going to have God's undivided attention at every moment of every day. Now just think about that. The God of the universe Right this minute, he is thinking about you, loving you, caring for you. Friend, that just changes everything. It's a beautiful, glorious truth, and it's because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. So that's, that's the first truth. It means God is always thinking about us. The second truth means that God will pour out his steadfast love whenever we ask him. Look at Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Now, notice that word all and that word abounding. Those are my two favorite words in this verse. To all who call upon you. To all. Now, all means all, right? It means you. So when you call upon God in Jesus' name, this is, this is always through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through him because of our sin and his death on the cross. So we call upon God through Jesus, and everyone who calls upon God in the name of Jesus, he is abounding in loving kindness to them. Now look at that word abounding. What does abounding mean? It doesn't mean like just a little drop here, bloop, a little drop here, bloop. It means overflow. It means a flood of steadfast love being poured out upon you. The picture that I have is like there's this big reservoir of God's steadfast love above us. And whenever we call upon God through Jesus and say, help me, he like opens up the spigot. This outflow of steadfast love just pouring upon us, drenching us, engulfing us. It's abounding. It's not just like, are you seeing it? This flood. So there you are, and you can know God is always with you in whatever you do. That means he's always thinking about you, caring for you, loving you, always, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. He's right now, he's thinking about you, and that whenever you call upon him, the floodgates of heaven open, loving kindness, steadfast love will pour out upon you and surround you and engulf you and take care of everything for you. Now, let's try just a little quiz here. Make sure we get this. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. See if this is, if this is sinking into us, okay? Does this mean that when you're frustrated with a work problem, that at that moment, God is thinking about you and ready to pour his steadfast love upon you? Is that what that means? 
Thank you. Somebody's getting it. Okay, good class. All right. So, yes, this, this applies to work. Okay, so you're there at work and you've got this insoluble problem. Like, I, I have no idea what we're going to do. God knows. God knows. He knows your problem before you t- talk to him about it. And when you call upon God, he is abundant in steadfast love to all who call upon him. Okay, another question. Maybe a little bit of a harder one. Does this mean that when you're paying your bills, okay, how about this one, and you notice you're a little bit low on money, does that mean that God is thinking about you and ready to pour his steadfast love upon you when you call upon him? Yes, yes it does. Absolutely. He knows. He cares. He loves. And the moment you say, help me, Father, he will pour out wisdom, grace, help you with your budget, whatever. He knows. He cares. He will go to work. Okay, another one. You're doing good. Okay. Does this mean that when you're feeling the pull of temptation, getting stronger and stronger, and you're feeling your resolve growing weaker and weaker, at that time, is he always thinking about you ready to pour his steadfast love upon you when you call upon him? You didn't sound quite as confident on that one. Okay. Yes, absolutely. He knows. He cares. He has everything you need at that moment, and he will pour it out upon you when he stops and say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Help me. Abounding steadfast love will come. One more example. Does this mean that when you're feeling discouraged, maybe about your future or about a relationship or about your health or about a job, does this mean that when you're discouraged that God is constantly thinking about you and ready to pour his steadfast love upon you when you call upon him? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. There's no situation you could come up with where the answer would be no. Everyone who names the name of Christ, who's been saved by faith in Christ, at every moment, the God of the universe is thinking about you, loving you, caring for you. And the moment you say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, help me, floodgates open, steadfast love abundantly will be poured out upon you. That's what we're talking about here. That's what it means that God is with us in all that we do. Now, just one little side question. Does this mean that for those who name the name of Christ, that God will keep us from every trial? No, it does not. And I want to bring that up just so that we're, we're going deep as a church in our understanding, our theology of trials. This is so important that we understand what the scriptures teach. Sometimes trials will come into our lives, and when we call upon God, pour out your steadfast love, he will remove the trial, right? Many of us have had God simply remove trials. Talked to a young lady this morning. There was prayer for her foot. God healed her, took the, the pain away. There's, God loves to heal. God loves to provide. God loves to change the hearts of unfair managers. God can do all kinds of things. He loves to deliver us from trials. But the Bible does not say that's what God always does. There are times when in his love and in his wisdom, not because there's any difference in the person, just like Paul with his thorn in the flesh, there's times where God chooses to have the trial stay. He chooses to have the unfair manager continue to be unfair. He continues to have the sickness stay. There's times where God chooses to have the trial stay. Now you might say, well, what about this abounding steadfast love? Where did did that go? 
that was there. There's times where God's abounding steadfast love says, I'm going to have this trial stay because in this trial, you are going to have joys in me. You're going to behold my glory and my majesty like you never have before and like you never would have without the trial. You are going to be so drawn into my presence through this trial that you will turn and thank me for the trial. This is part of my wisdom. This is part of my love. This is part of my abounding steadfastness. Many of you have experienced that. Many of you are probably experiencing that right now. So does God always being with us means that we will never have any trials? No. Some he will deliver when we pray. Others he will allow to stay when we pray, but don't miss this. When he has trials stay, he will give you all the comfort you need, all the strength you need, all the wisdom you need for the decisions that must be made, all the finances you need, everything you need. He's going to be there watching over you, caring for you, loving you, weeping with you, sustaining you, satisfying you, filling you, glorifying his presence in you. He would, he would, it's not that he's left you or forsaken you. He's right there with you in and through the trial. That's what it means that God is with us in all we do. That's what Abimelech has learned about God from watching Abraham's life in chapter 20. And what was true for Abraham is true for everyone who trusts Jesus. Now, what God wants to show us then in the rest of this passage is how that truth changed Abraham. It transformed his life. And so let's ask the question, how will that truth change us? We'll see how it changed Abraham, and by learning that, we'll see how it changes us. And look at verses 22 again, and then down to verse 24. So verses 22 through 24. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that, we, that, in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me, Abraham, hereby God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now remember, in the previous chapter, Abraham had lied to Abimelech. She's my sister, just my sister. Remember, he had blatantly to his face lied to Abimelech in a way that was very unkind to him because it jeopardized Abimelech before God. It brought sickness upon his whole household. It was a lie. It was unkind. It was wrong. That's what Abimelech is reflecting on. And that's why here in verse 23, Abimelech asks Abraham, swear that you will not deal falsely. That's the Hebrew word for lie. Swear that you will not deal falsely, lie, and that you will deal kindly with me and my offspring as long as you're here. Swear that because of what he'd experienced in the previous chapter where Abraham had not done that. Do you see what's going on, how this fits into the previous chapter? So Abraham swore to do this. Here's the question. How's Abraham going to be able to do that? We've just seen his lying in the previous chapter, very unkind lying. What's going to enable Abraham to do this? And notice the word therefore at the beginning of verse 23. That word, therefore, shows that it's because of the truth in verse 22 
that God is with Abraham in all that he does. It's because of that truth that therefore Abraham, his heart will be changed so that he will want to tell the truth and want to be kind, all because he is seeing that God is with him in everything he does and he's trusting the truth that God is with him in everything that he does. Now, this is a crucial truth for us to learn. Too many Christians think that, yes, God calls us to not lie and God calls us to be kind. We all agree on that point. But too many Christians think, okay, so I'm supposed to really just try not to lie. I'm going to try. I'm not, not supposed to lie. I'm going to try to be kind. I'm going to try to be kind to this person. But see, trying to not lie and trying to be kind, that's not Christianity. That's not what this book calls us to do. What this book calls us to do is start by looking Godward and see God in Christ, you are with me in everything that I do. You're always loving me, caring for me, the God of the universe. And whenever I call upon you, you're going to abound in steadfast love to me. And when we see that truth of God and trust that truth of God, our hearts will be changed so we will want to tell the truth and want to be kind and generous to people around us. That's Christianity. Do you see the difference? This is a massive difference rather than just, well, we're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to tell the truth. So I'm going to try to do that. See, everybody does that. Christian and non-Christian tries that much of the time, right? Christians are very different. We've got a whole different power source, which changes our hearts. So we want to tell the truth and we want to be kind. Let me illustrate it by thinking of how this would have changed Abraham if he would have had this in his mind in the previous chapter. There's Abraham and Sarah. She's beautiful. Here's big King, King Abimelech, big army. He could kill me and take her into his harem if he thinks I'm her husband. But God, you are with me in all that I do. Right now, God, you are thinking about me. You're thinking about Sarah. You know exactly what's going on. You know the problem, right? And God, you promise that when we call upon you, you will be abundant in steadfast love. So Father, Sarah and I, we call upon you now. Protect us. Help us. Help us to see that you're in complete sovereign control of what Abimelech does or doesn't do. And we, we lay ourselves at your feet. We surrender ourselves into your will. Whatever you choose to do, may God be glorified. We want you. You're our prize. You're our treasure. You work everything for good. We trust ourselves to you. What a glorious God you are. So as Abraham and Sarah pray, reflecting on that God is with us in all that we do, their hearts would have changed, and Abraham would have just have been welled up in his heart. I'm just going to tell him the truth. I'm going to trust God here. It's going to be kind to this man, right? Abimelech, good to meet you. This is Sarah, my wife. Come on over for dinner tonight, okay? Or whatever it would have been. Do you see how that works? When we don't see God, oh, we're supposed to be kind, we're supposed to not lie. When we do see God, that he is always with us in all that we do, it changes everything and our hearts change and we want to tell the truth and we want to be kind and generous. So that's how Abraham was able to tell the truth because verse 22 and the therefore in verse 23, and that's how we are able to do this as well. Now, this next section is really interesting because here God wants to show us, look at how Abraham's heart has been changed. Look at how this is working by how Abraham handles the problem with the well. Okay, there's a problem with the well here. Here's the background. 
Abraham had dug this well. Arid desert area, wells were very important. Dug this well for Abraham's use, for his household's use, for the use of his flocks. So here was this well that Abraham had dug. But the problem was that some of Abimelech's servants had discovered this well and they took it over. A well, awesome. Thanks, whoever dug this, we'll take it. So there's a problem with the well. And look at what happens in verses 25 and following. Verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech, about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I've not heard of it until today. Now get this next verse. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Now now think about this. Don't miss what's happening here. Abimelech's servants had wronged Abraham. Abraham had been wronged by Abimelech's servants. Abraham should be receiving sheep and oxen from Abimelech, right? But Abraham gives of his own sheep and oxen to Abimelech. Just as an expression of goodwill, expression of compassion, as an expression of mercy. Do you you see that? I'm not sure you're all getting this. Abraham was wronged. He had dug the well. Abimelech's servants had taken over the well. They'd done wrong. Abraham should be receiving recompense of some sort from Abimelech, but instead Abraham gives to Abimelech. Mercy, grace, compassion. And why does he do this? It's because he knows God's always with me. I've been wronged. But you know what? God works everything out for good. Or to quote Genesis 50, 20, what Abimelech's servants meant for evil, God meant for good. Great good's coming to us here, right? Great good. Here, Abimelech, have some sheep and oxen. We can get this worked out. Not a problem. Do you see the difference that makes? But there's more. Keep reading verse 28. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. So he took seven more lambs, ewe lambs from his own flock, and he set them apart separately. And Abimelech's thinking, what are these seven lambs for? Verse 29, Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He, Abraham, said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. What's going on here? Abraham took seven more lambs from his flock, set them apart, and then formally gave them to Abimelech. Why? I think it's a way to back up his claim that he had dug this well. Abraham's going out of his way to assure Abimelech. Abimelech, I told the truth. I dug the well. Truth-telling is important to me now, and I bear witness to that by giving you seven more lambs just to show you I, I'm, I care for you, I'm generous, I'm committed to telling the truth just to bless you as an expression of my goodwill. Then look at verse 31. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, which can mean either well of the seven or well of the oath. So that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up 
and returned to the land of the Philistines. Now notice, in verses 25 to 32, we have Abraham doing exactly what he has sworn to do in verse 24. In verses 25 to 32, he shows great kindness to Abimelech, sheep and goats, and he's showing his commitment to telling the truth. I told the truth when I said I dug the well. Here's seven you lambs just to show you my goodwill in that gesture. But I remember why Abraham did this. Why was his heart so committed to being kind and telling the truth? It was not just because Abraham was like super disciplined. It was not because he was just really an ethical person. It was not just because he was a man of character. It was something deeper. It was something that had changed his heart. It's that he knew and trusted that God is with me in everything that I do. God is always thinking about me, loving me, caring for me. And then whenever I call upon God through the Messiah, God's going to be abounding in steadfast love to me. And when you know that God is thinking of you, loving you, and that God will totally take care of you whenever you call upon him, your heart is changed. And you want to tell the truth because God will take care of the outcome. And you want to be kind because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's how Abraham did this. Now, there's two more verses in this section. And as I studied those verses, I think what God wants us to see is one more display of what was in Abraham's heart that made him so committed to kindness and so committed to truth-telling? What was in his heart at this time? Look at verses 33 and 34. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Notice, right after this, he plants a tree and that tree seemingly was a place where Abraham worshipped God, the God of the universe, who made that tree and everything else. And notice he calls him the everlasting God. The everlasting God. Now, what does it mean that God is the everlasting God? Look at Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. This is a psalm written by Moses. Do you know that Moses wrote a psalm? Right here, Psalm 90, verse 2. And look at what Moses says about God's everlastingness. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So for God to be everlasting means that he has always been with no beginning. Think about that. Go back as far as you want into eternity past. God's there. You say, well, who made God? No one made God. If somebody made God, they would be God, right? God has always been. Now, does that just blow your mind? Good. Keep it going, okay? This just sets God completely apart from everything else in existence. Everything else that is has a beginning. Not just has a beginning, everything else that is was created by God. Only God is uncreated. So this shows that God has complete authority over everything else because whatever you create, you have sovereignty over, you have authority over. So everything else that exists is under God's authority and sovereignty everything else. 
So God has existed from eternity past, which means he created everything and is in sovereign control over everything. And God's going to be continuing into eternity, into the future. God is the everlasting God. And see, that's why he can be with us in all that we are doing. Because he is the everlasting God who created everything else. One implication of that is that he is therefore in sovereign control over everything that happens. Every atom in the universe is under his control. Every being in the universe is under his control. Every circumstance is under his control. The weather, the animals, the jobs, the, everything is under God's complete sovereign control. And that's why when we call upon God in Jesus' name, he can be abounding in steadfast love to us. Nothing can stop God from doing what he wants to do. God does everything he wants to do. Nothing can stop him because he's the everlasting God who is sovereign over everything. So what was in Abraham's heart at this time is that God is the everlasting God, which overlaps with the fact that God is with us in all that we do. And those beautiful truths about God changed his heart. So he was strengthened. He was content. He was at peace. He was generous. He was truth-telling. His heart was changed because he saw and trusted who God was. So there's the passage. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me give two applications to you. First of all, I would guess some of you here this morning are not yet trusting Jesus. And we are glad you're here. And it is no accident that you're here this morning to hear this passage, Genesis, taught. And what I want you to think about is what it would be like to have God always being with you in everything you do. Think of what it would be like to know that the creator of the universe who has all power and all authority, who's flawless in wisdom and knowledge, think of what it would be like to have him be thinking about you and loving you and caring for you all the time. All the time. And that whenever you call upon him, in Jesus' name, floods of steadfast love are going to come and pour out upon you and engulf you and surround you. Just think about who this God is. Having this God in your life would change everything for you. You were created to have this God in your life in that way. You were not created to be where you are now, and that is alone right? Trying to fend for yourself. That's not how you were created to be. He created you so that he could be your father, but we've all turned our backs on him. But today you can turn back and because of Jesus, you can be forgiven and can be changed and can be restored. And you could leave here today having God as your God in everything you do, having God being with you in every circumstance you're in, having God be there to help you, to forgive you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to guide you, to provide for you, and most important, to satisfy you in himself in every situation that you're in. Don't you want him in your life? He's real. Deep down in your heart, you know he's real. He's displayed his reality by sending Jesus into history 
so we could touch him and listen to him and see him and read history, eyewitness accounts of him. And Jesus died and rose again so that you, me, we could be forgiven and restored to God. You can have this God as your God. Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus. He'll forgive you, change you, restore you. That's my encouragement to those of you who are not yet trusting Jesus. Okay, for those of you who are trusting Jesus, I want you to try an experiment this week. I would guess many of us are used to just you know, trying to tell the truth and, and trying to be kind, but I'd like you to try something different this week. This week, at the beginning of each day, start off opening up your Bible, getting some time to pray, and just start off reflecting on the fact that in Jesus Christ, God will be with me in everything I do today. Just reflect on that. Thank him for that. Worship him for that. Thank him that even at that moment, he's thinking about you, that you have his undivided attention, that he loves you and that he cares about you, and that he doesn't just love and care about you, but that when you call upon him, abounding steadfast love will be poured out upon you. And take time at the beginning of each day and just think deeply and pray deeply about who God is. And then throughout the day, remind yourself, right now, while I'm eating lunch, God is with me in what I'm doing. Right now, as I'm heading into this meeting, God is with me in what I'm doing. Right now, as I'm changing this diaper, God is with me in what I'm doing. Right now, in whatever circumstance I'm in, God is with me, God is with me, God is with me. And what you will find is that your heart will be changing. And you will want to tell the truth in every circumstance you're in, and you will want to be kind and be generous to the people around you because you have God with you wherever you are. Try that. It'll change your heart. It'll change your life, and it'll bring glory to to him, the one who promises to be with us in everything that we do, just like he was with Abraham. Let's pray together. Stand up, please, and I'll pray. What an amazing God you are. As big as you are, having created everything, having existed from eternity past with no beginning, sovereign, powerful, wise, that you would be with us, giving us your undivided attention, each of us individually loving us and caring for us, and all because of what Jesus did in paying for our sins and rising from the dead. We thank you. I pray, Lord, for those here who are not yet trusting Jesus, oh, Lord, Help them see what an amazingly glorious, loving, merciful, beautiful God you are. And that they were made to know you. And that they can know you because of Jesus right now. So Lord, have them turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus and be saved, I pray. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us who are trusting Jesus. That that this week we wouldn't just try to not lie and try to be kind. But Lord, that we would see that you are always with us in whatever we do, that you are always thinking about us, that you will pour out your loving kindness whenever we call upon you, and that those truths of who you are would change our hearts so that we love telling the truth and so that we love being kind and generous to others. 
pour out your grace upon us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.